1: Hello, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the seventh official installment of Bantering the Blue Shirts. I'm your host, Joe Fortunato, joined as always, can we say as always, since we lost you last week, I'm going to say it anyway, as always by Michael Murphy. Mike, how are you doing today? Oh, And see, this is what I'm talking about. I think we may have issues with Mike. Oh, this is why I put him on mute. Totally, which is sad. Um, this is just after right a now, terrible there you go, man. Can I hear you now? You've done or a terrible job
2: here, Joe. You should be ashamed of
1: everything about yourself. It told me you were not muted, and then it muted you anyway. But whatever, having you here is better than what I ended up having last week. Although, again, a big thank you to Dan's 10 for stepping in to be the emergency co-host in Mike's Uh This show is not happening during a Rangers game, which is also very good. Like I said, apologize for that um and we are going to uh get rolling here quick shout out to all of you who have continued to download the show and listen in every single week the viewership has grown and and it's been awesome so we definitely appreciate that and you're all doing it even though the rangers are just not a fun team to watch right now would be the proper way to say it if you're trying to be nice mike why don't we start with the weekend from hell as i'm calling it and that would be the 31-second game-tying goal to Brad Richards before losing in overtime against the Detroit Red Wings, and then whatever that second and third period was against Pittsburgh. uh, Do you get really nervous when you see the Rangers play like that this close to the playoffs?
2: Uh, I personally get nervous only because I think um, a lot of people got excited with the notion of, oh, adding Eric Stahl means that Tanner Glad will come out of the lineup and then of course you know, Sard had the flu. But we're starting to get a better idea of what this team looks like now when it's healthy. You know, obviously there's the McElrath injury, but you know, he's not a, not in the top six defenseman. And uh when you see the Rangers dominated in possession really in both games they did um, but the second and third period against Pittsburgh was just alarming. And you know, to watch, you know, they didn't deserve to win the game against Detroit, but to watch them, you know, lose lose the lead and, you know, to Brad Richards is just, you know, a kick between. Uh, but also to, to eventually lose it in overtime like that was just, uh, you know, in the most recent article I wrote, you know, it's, you, it's a similar phrase, which good teams don't do these things. Like, you know, these are teams the Rangers, it's not that they should be, they really have to start beating these teams because, you know, it's right now second in the Metro feels really comfortable, but it's not like, you know, we're not the Capitals. We don't, we're not going to finish with 110 points or whatever. Um, all these points matter. And being 5 4 and 1 in the last 10 games, very scary sign for a team that is in win now, go get cut mode.
1: I think the the dropping of points is uh, a fair argument to make about being concerned. The Rangers seem poised to lose their home ice advantage in the first round of the playoffs to the New York Islanders. If things ended today, the Rangers would be in that second place for the conference, but uh, excuse me, for the division. But uh, the Islanders have three games at hand. I think they're only two points back. So it's a very fluid situation yeah. that changes game in and game out, and the Rangers dropped at least a point this weekend against Detroit. And if you want to not give them credit for the second and third period that they played against Pittsburgh, that's fine. But you're right. These are games the Rangers should probably want to start winning. And it's not so much that they're losing because if we're being honest here, everybody loses, every team loses, even good teams have rough stretches, but it's the way the Rangers are losing this. We're getting outpossessed, and Henrik Lundqvist is saving Whatever opportunity we have, and no, by the way, we're still finding ways to blow leads and not play very well. So I find that discouraging as a fan. I find that alarming as we watch this team kind of make its way to the playoffs, and I find it really, really, really annoying that today Vigneault pretty much hinted, if not said, that if Tanner Glass can play and if Rick Nash can play tomorrow that after Lindbergh will be out of the lineup. And this is something you and I talked about, I think it was two shows ago, where Vigneault needs to start playing his best lineup, period. He doesn't have a choice at this point. And we saw Kevin Hayes get benched. We saw Kevin Hayes relegated back to the fourth line. We're seeing the Rangers sort of revert back into this, uh, oh, we're going to go back to trusting the veterans and I'm going to run my top nine because we've just played back-to-back games and, Uh, I don't like what I'm seeing out of the New York Rangers. And in the show where we lost you, Mike, we talked a lot about whether or not you can trust Vigneault. And I think I erred on the side of caution saying, yes, you can, you can trust him. I think he's going to do the right thing. And since then it, it really hasn't worked out that way, but I am curious on your thoughts about glass, probably playing at the expense of Lindbergh tomorrow. And just the way that the Rangers have been losing, let alone losing games that you'd like to see them win.
2: I think um, the value with Tanner Glass is, you know, the the defense that I hear from him from the m- minority fans who um, don't mind him in the lineup or you know attribute you know the characteristics of oh he's a character guy he's soccer room guy um, you know you don't have to pay those guys the sort of money that Glass makes which I think is one point four five in the cap if memory serves yeah, um, and. The the thing with like that unique skill set he brings is uh he fights and he hits people. That's not a skill set really in the modern game. Uh what is the most important skill set in the modern game is skating. And he's not a good skater. And the Rangers have a couple guys on the team, uh, including one that's, you know, on contract for a long time and his name rhymes with Mirardi. Um, you know, they're not strong skaters, and that's not a good thing. And having a guy getting, you know, fourth-line minutes who can't skate, the difference between what Lindbergh and Glass can do that will, will help the team actually win games and have possession of the puck is night and day. And more importantly, the club is invested in Oscar Lindbergh, or at least they should be. Um, having him watch the game... While glass is in the lineup, makes no. The same is true, if not more so, uh, for Hayes. It just on paper it doesn't make sense. Like the eye test, it doesn't make sense. Um, You know, fights don't win hockey games. Uh, Big hits are fun, and you know they'll put butts in seats and all that stuff, and as will fights. But you know, there's no direct correlation between those things and winning a game. I mean, obviously hockey is a sport where, you know, momentum can shift and there will be great emotion and stuff, but, you know, that's not something that, you know, it's, it's like having a wild card. You know what I mean? You don't need that. It's much better to have a product that, you know, can make a difference. And that's what I think both Lindbergh and Hayes represent. And I mean, are they both capable of making bad plays? You know, we saw Hayes kind of quit on that one play um, in that recent game, where you know he just said a Penguins player, that uh, that, that kid who was in the, the Penguins lineup who had a two-goal game—I forget his name, Uh Here, yeah. or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you know, you you look at Hayes do that, and you just like, "Oh boy, you know what the hell." But you know, Hayes is not lauded for his defensive play. He's he's more celebrated for what he can do with a puck and. You know he's a young guy learning the game, and you'll have those mistakes i you know I know the question was about glass, and so I'm kind of going on a rant here. Um, well, no actually
3: I, think your, I don't
1: know I, point, I think your point's a solid one because the main thing that you said that really resonated with me was these guys are investments these are investments that the New York Rangers have made and they're I'm sure Lindbergh was talked about at the trade deadline I'm sure Carolina would have probably taken Lindbergh. I don't know at what level they would have taken him. Would it have been for Sorella? Would it have been for one of the second round picks? I'm not sure. But the Rangers yeah. kept him for a reason. And I find it hard to believe that that reason is, well, we're going to sit him and we're not actually going to play him because this is the lineup that I want for the playoffs. And I truly believe that the lineup that plays tomorrow, if Lindbergh sits and glass plays is the lineup that Vigneault is going to use in the playoffs. And that is its own bag of problems, but, I, the way that I look at it is imagine having a plant, you plant a seed and it's growing and then the plant doesn't grow as much as you want it to. So you say, okay, I'm going to stop giving the plant sunlight and water for a few days and we're going to see if that helps. And that's pretty much what it means to just sit a guy like Hayes on the bench or to not play him and scratch him. And the same thing for Lindbergh in this situation. It's not like everybody's had their turn and I think it's become an issue for the Rangers. I think it's something that Vigneault needs to work through. This is one of the things that followed him here from Vancouver. This is not new. And for all the success that Vigneault has had, it's also worth noting that a lot of his regular season success never translated to that playoff success. So the hope is that doesn't happen here, but you can't talk about the success Vigneault has had without at the very least mentioning that he hasn't won a Stanley Cup yet. And a lot of the things that happened to him in Vancouver that got him fired are part of what's happening to him right now. So we have a couple of callers, Mike. I think I'm going to grab one who has been waiting for eight minutes. Plus, he has a 516 area code. 516, you're on the air. Who's this?
0: This is Tony. I,
1: I had a feeling it was Tony. It, he's gracing us with his presence. Hello, Tony. How are you doing?
0: Hey, guys. How are you? How
1: are you? Hey, buddy. Oh, you know, we're just living the dream. It's better now that you're here. So You were holding from the beginning of the show, so I'll I'll let you go into whatever it was you wanted to talk about for the past eight minutes, and we'll kind of run with it from there.
0: I I think the the problem is very fundamental, and I go back to the 2011-2012 Rangers, which was a team that is really high on my list for the simple fact that that team played their hearts out every single night. They weren't the most talented, not even close. But yet, the passion that they played with night in and night out was really unmatched of any Ranger team we've ever seen, or certainly I've ever seen. And I compare it to this team this year, and a lot of the characteristics that they have had over the last couple of years are just not there. I don't see the passion in their play. I don't see them on players defending. I don't see them going into the dirty areas where they need to go into, not getting second chances. The the coverage down low is atrocious, as that uh, great article by Travis Yost points out, where one is at the tops on on 5-on-5, save percentage, and yet is next to last in being protected down low. I mean, that's what it all comes down to. And I I just don't see them putting in the effort um, that they really should, like, like you know they can. And this is a talented group. I mean, yeah, they have their problems. We know certain players shouldn't be on the team. They shouldn't be getting top minutes. They shouldn't be this. They shouldn't be that. But the bottom line is this is – a very talented team overall. And with the right deployments, as we've talked about ad nauseum, they could be a contending team. But it all starts with the effort, and I truly believe the storm is brewing, and I would not be surprised if the players get this coach fired by the end of the year, which is all well and good, except that the problem is is that now you've wasted another year of Henrik who is now what, 34? Did he just turn 34?
1: Yeah, I think, yeah they just did, or he will in May, maybe. Uh, Tony, that's the, okay, so, the... Go ahead, finish your thought.
0: So, I I, I mean, they just burned another year. And um, I, I, I think that this guy is insane. I mean, I, I don't know what, what he's thinking. You know, he insists on playing certain players certain ways. You know, I even read uh, uh, Brooks today... Uh, kind of implying that Vino doesn't like Dominic Moore's game? I mean, why? I mean, what, what is it about these favoritisms and, uh, you know, that it, that this guy has? I mean, obviously, Pantaglash should never, ever wear a Rangy uniform. We've talked about that. But yet, as soon as he gets a chance, he puts him back in. I don't get it. I mean, Gordon did a great job of holding on to Lindbergh because you can bet that Carolina was asking for him. And I thought, sure. And everything I had heard in the background was that he was going in the deal. Hmm. And somehow they held on to him. It's a couple of different,
1: I think, aspects to the point you're making. I think you, first of all, the last time that you were on, Mike and I talked about how, The third year for a coach is a very difficult year because it's two years of hearing the same message over and over again, and then a third year of hearing the same message over and over again. And I think that's a worthwhile conversation to have because it was really the year that started to do Tortorella in. And it's sort of what's happening right now if you look at it from an outside perspective. Now, none of us are in the locker room. None of us know whether or not the Rangers are actually – upset with what they're seeing. We, we did talk a little bit last week after we had lost you, Mike, that the quote that Vigneault made about JT Miller thinking he has a short leash, where Vigneault said he might think that, talking about Miller. And, again, those are conversations you're not necessarily having unless there is some type of a discussion about whether or not he's not doing everything he needs to be doing. And, uh, Tony, to your point about the effort, I- I'm loathe to say that a team doesn't care. I- I'm not necessarily – disagreeing with you the effort isn't there that's been there in the past I think part of that is because the teams in the past especially those John Tortorella teams were not very good and as a result they needed to do the Ryan Callahan thing which is hustle 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 and hopefully something good happens but I do think this Rangers team does not have that killer instinct that we've seen from teams in the past and I don't know what that is I'd have to assume it's
0: very simple it's very simple they just lost a game on Sunday Okay, once again, giving up a goal late in the third period, okay? 17 points. 17 points this team has lost, okay, because of goals after the 10-minute mark in the third period, okay? Whether it's gone into overtime and then they lost, you know, another point in overtime or they lost in regulation. 17 points. That's not what Ranger teams have done in the past. Ranger teams in in the past, or the most recent past anyway, have gotten the one goal lead and shut down the other team. Okay? You could have you would have almost thank it that any lead that they had in the third period was a win. Not anymore. And to me that all comes down to and when we say effort it's not that I'm not saying they don't care, they do care. But they're not putting in the extra effort. Even in, if you noticed, even in the first period against Pittsburgh, okay, the chances that Pittsburgh did have, I mean, no Ranger within five to ten feet of the puck carrier on Pittsburgh, even in the first period when they dominated. That's, that's not Ranger hockey. Ranger hockey is they're on their man at all times. There's, there, there's great gap control. That's their way of defending. OK, teams are going through the neutral zone on them like like there's nobody there. That's not, I the think some of that, That's not how it, they win.
1: I think some of it, honestly, is the Rangers, the players that the Rangers are leaning on to do the defending are not as good as they have been in the past slash really can't fill that role anyway. And, Mike, I'll ask your opinion on that as well, whether or not you think it's more effort or more defense. But. I just wanted to clarify one thing Tony said. The article he's talking about, when with Travis Yost about how Lunquist should win the Vesna. When Tony's talking about down low protection, I think Lunquist is third in the NHL, as in the third worst. You don't want to be number one in the statistics. Second, for, I think
0: uh, Ramo was. Uh, Ramo was. Ramo
1: was was the worst. worst uh, and then some in uh, distance between your average shot. So the Rangers are giving up call it the second or third worst average distance in the NHL for shots. So other teams are shooting in close on Henrik Lundqvist, getting those quality opportunities more than anyone else in the league, except for, I guess it would be the flames. So I do think it's a defensive issue. Mike, would you agree with that? Or do you think it's something else?
2: I think it's a little bit of both. I think Tony raises a great point. Like uh, you think of, you know, what the team looks like, you know, five or six years ago and you have to remember that the core of the team has changed and what has stuck around is five or six years older that's a long time that's a long time for legs and a lot of players that were entering their prime have maybe already come out of their prime i think we can comfortably and unfortunately say that about mark Stahl, um amongst others and you you know losing some of that foot speed and coming out of your you know what could be an early exit from your athletic prime makes a big difference, and you know that's a horrifying statistic that Moncliffe has to face, you know shots of that quality on such a consistent basis, and you know when Joe and I were talking about what what the show should be about tonight, you know one of the things I one of the ideas I threw at him was just how crazy fortunate the Rangers have been, uh, Sean Tierney of a uh, Today's slideshow uh, looks back at the PDO rates from, I think it was dating back to 2007, and no team has written the good fortune of the the luck statistic as the Rangers. And
1: almost all of it has to do with Henrik Lundqvist. And Yeah, for when, just to when jump in, thing, but for those who don't know, PDO is basically adding the on-ice save percentage and a team's shooting percentage. So the. Yeah, I you almost always. Yeah, 100. You almost always just normal. look at even strength. Yeah. So if anything so, above 100 is very lucky, anything below 100 is unlucky, and there's levels. But I think the Rangers are at like and a 102.5, which is very high. It just means that you're shooting 2% they're above the average. The they're the most average. Yeah, they're the luckiest team in the league. And that's, that's
2: been going on since 2007.
0: And, and It has to
2: do with how good Henrik Lundqvist is, but it also is this notion of, you know, when we look at how the Rangers do in the possession game and the point Tony made is, oh, we used to just expect them that they have the lead in the third for them to shut it down and lock it down. Like, you know, like having Mariana Rivera, it's just, you just expect it to end. Well, it's supposed to end well because we have Lundqvist and it'll be okay. And I don't think it's been happening as much lately. And it's, these problems, I think, have, have always been here, but they're just kind of exacerbated a bit because the defense in general, the team is not as good. And the team a really poor job with managing their assets on the blue line um, over the past five years or so. And, you know, the most obvious example to point to is Strallman. Um But you can also look at the players they chose to invest in and the players they didn't choose to invest in And, you know, looking at things like blocking shots as an important, you know, ability or statistic, when it's not. Blocking shots is not a good statistic. It means pucks in your zone too much. And it often correlates to your team not being a good possession team. And when we see that Dan Girardi throws a bunch of hits, blocks a lot of shots, you know, we may have gotten excited about that five or six years ago. But, you know, the Tortorella system and, you know, the collapsing defense, and of course shots are going to get blocked. Especially if the guy's out there twenty minutes a night or what have you. Um so to me it's I think it's a combination of that you know, that energy and that I think the better word might be urgency. You know, what what I think we all would like to see is more urgency in their play, you know, and guys not taking shifts off the way that it seems to be the the way that it seems to be the case lately. And what's so frustrating to me is that so often it'll be guys who really are part of the solution in the long run. The guys you want to go around, the Criders, the Kevin Hayes, the JT Millers, the guys who you are hoping will be so good or have so much potential that they'll make up for the deficits of other players. And these are the players that are the these are the players getting punished. Danger is not getting punished for his hundreds of mistakes. You know, Tanner Glass doesn't get punished for, you know, having the foot speed of a things don't happen. Um, I don't know. I think it's a combination of the two, and that's the You know, it's, it's the problem, you know that I'm I'm not sure how you fix. And I think it's started to creep into my head that I trust in you less and less.
1: Yeah, it's it's. Uh, I think Mike brought up a good point. I think Tony brought up a good point. Uh, Tony, we got someone who's been holding for 14 minutes, so I'm going to let you go. But I just wanted to thank you for calling in, man. It's always good to hear from you.
0: Okay, guys. Great job. Have a good night.
1: You too. Uh, So we are getting to you. 732, you are on the air. Who's this?
3: Yes. First, I'd just like to say that I totally disagree with that last caller. He has no idea what he's talking about. He's a closet Islanders fan, so you should ignore anything he says.
1: Had I have known it was you, fifty, I would have left him on the line, and you two could have battle royaled it up (laughs) on the air. This,
3: for those of you who don't know,
1: is the man who wears the sheriff badge around the Blue Shirt Banter community, George, PSB for fifty, meaning fifty years of uh, fandom. We're doing good, buddy. How are you doing?
3: I'm good. Just want to remind you, the next meetup is uh, next Wednesday after the first period. Tower C, outside. Yeah, that's actually two fifteen. So if. Ever
1: you are at a Rangers game and you would like to meet the Blue Shirt Banter crew, I'll usually announce when I'm there, because so, I'm egotistical like that, but uh, Tony and 50, whatever games they're at, they'll meet right outside I think it's section 216 uh, in the Tower C stairwell between the first and the second period. We call it the meeting of the minds, so if you're ever there or you want to get in, just let us know. I can point you in the right direction on Twitter or any of the social media feeds. So they will be there on Wednesday, so you can go talk about me. And, and that's Wednesday they they're, they're giving out gnomes as I'm sure they do. Ooh, no. it's good. That's a good gift. Um, so I guess you, you stayed on the line for a while, you heard everything Tony had to say, you heard everything Mike and I had to say. Do you uh have anything to add?
3: Do you agree with Tony outside of disagreeing with him on mostly everything? Well, I I think I'm I'm confident that they'll do do well once they get to the playoffs. I think they're gonna step it up. They I don't I think they're just holding back on the regular season. They're 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 waiting for the playoffs. The problem is, I think they'll play, play, play well in the playoffs, but they can't do these seven-game series anymore. It's, you know, They can't fall behind two games and have to come back. And If we didn't get a lot of long series, they're dead. There's so many good teams out there. There
1: has been an argument made from a lot of different people who are around the game about the length of time that the Rangers have been involved in the playoffs. So all the playoff games that they played basically adding up to extra seasons and extra wear and tear on these guys. And I certainly think that plays a role in some of the fallout that you're seeing from the Dan Girardis of the world and the Mark Stahls of the world. And these guys who, especially in Girardi's case,
0: who have been used
1: extensively in the playoffs at alarming minutes and just playing again and again and again. And, you know, with a guy like Girardi and, and Mike and I were just talking about this a little bit, I just looked up some of the numbers uh, from a possession game uh, Girardi's looking at uh, a negative 310 shots for a differential his Corsi on the year is 42 percent which is just his the shot differential percentage and his Corsi rel which is his Corsi relative to the team average is minus 8.17 percent which is double or excuse me which is one of the worst on the team the Actual worst on the team is Daniel Pae and then Jared Stoll, but they're no longer on the team. So, I mean, you look at these numbers and, Mike, you kind of mentioned it. Yeah, okay, if we're going to give Hayes a lot of crap for the play that led to the goal against Pittsburgh, no one seems to turn a head or bat an eye when Dan Girardi's terrible clearance attempt where he basically just floated the puck uh, right into the arms of the waiting Pittsburgh defender, I think it was Latang, leads to a goal. And that never seems to get punished and that never seems to get talked about. And, George, I hope you're right that the Rangers are kind of holding back a little bit and they're thinking to themselves, oh, we don't have to give it our all because it's not the playoffs. But I kind of doubt that to an extent because the Rangers, uh, as much as they're in a comfortable position, and I'm putting quotations around that, the Rangers are by no means locks. I mean, you you look at the way the Rangers have played to this point, I'm not exactly inspired that this team is going to, A, lock up the home ice, let alone – doing serious damage to kind of control their destiny in a sense. Uh, you think that it looks like the Rangers and the Islanders are going to be the first round matchup. Uh, I think there's a pretty enormous percentage that that's going to be the case. So you're going to have that rivalry there, but you'd much rather play that those home games at Madison square garden and have that edge. And for all, you know, the Rangers could even dip down into that wild-card spot. I, again, I'm not saying it's likely, but this is a team that, went on this massive tear where they were winning despite not having good possession numbers. Then they kind of, they started losing even though their possession numbers were getting better. Then things got a lot better after December. And now we're kind of back where we were when the Rangers were really struggling and they got dominated by the wings. They, they played a little bit better against the Penguins, but fell apart. And someone from our, the SB nation red wings blog, Wingy in Motown put up a, a stat about, the domination that Detroit had in terms of the possession game. And he said, the New York Rangers are not good. Henrik Lundqvist is good. And that has been the case mm-hmm. far too often this year. It really has been where the Rangers are just going out there kind of like a public skate and hoping that everything ends up. Okay. And Henrik Lundqvist or Ranta has to bail them out.
3: And that has happened a lot.
1: So but the think, Rangers. Think, think
3: about it. Think about it. Who, who would you rather play in the first round? Would you rather play the Islanders? Or Washington. Get Washington before they get into a groove. And we've kind of had their number a little bit. And the Islanders have kind of had our number. So, I don't know. I think I might want to play Washington the first round. Uh, I absolutely want to avoid
1: Washington uh, for as long as I can. Uh, The Islanders, first of all, Halak injury aside, even if he does come back, they have some pretty big flaws, just like the Rangers do. Washington, I think there is a case to be made that Washington's peak has kind of been a a PDO surge, which is what Mike was just talking about for the Rangers, but I still like to avoid them. There's a lot more dangerous parts, and I'm knocking on wood because I'll say this, and then the Islanders will win every game by 40 goals, but there's a lot more dangerous parts (laughs) on Washington. There's a lot more things that I'm concerned about there, and mainly Braden Holpe, who is quite clearly one of the dominant goalies in the NHL, so... I think that's been the Rangers' edge for a really long time, but it's also something that nearly sank them last year against Washington. And you're right, George. You can't get into the situation where you're down three games to one again for the third year in a row and, hey, we got to come back from it. Those long series are killing the Rangers. And, again, I, I think their lack of an ability to close has been part of the issue. But, Mike, I'm assuming you would agree with me you want to avoid Washington at all costs if you can.
2: Yeah, it's, uh, you know, people often talk about Washington and the Dallas Stars in the same breath, but the Dallas Stars don't play defense, and they don't really tending The Capitals have both of those things, and they're scary offense. You know, it's, for a long time, you know, the Capitals were just, they, oh God, don't give them a power play team, but they're a lot more than that. They're a much deeper team. They're fast. They're scary. You know, scoring up and down their lineup, you know, Carlson's amazing, you're you know, easily without blinking an eye, you can say he's a top three goalie lead. Um, you know, it's, it's a, a matchup I'd like to avoid, but that being said, you know, I'm not, you know, dancing for joy. at the not of playing the Islanders in the first round either, just because, you know, it seems like the Rangers can't show up to some of those games or that, you know, puck luck. And, you know, just the way it goes, it seems like the Islanders kind of have their number. Uh, I don't know. I'm not sure who who I'd like to face in the first round. For me, it's the focus for me is the Rangers just getting there at this point because it's you know with with all the players coming off the IR, you know I think we forget how how easy it is for a key piece to get injured, and if uh, if another player goes down with an injury here, another key player or important player, you know it can be. This five four and one record in the last ten games can be something that's not just bad breath. You when know, that happens, like you said, the being in the wild card discussion, you know, right now they can comfortably be spectators to that wild card race, but you know they're not that far away
1: from being involved in it. So,
3: and uh, get cool in think,
1: and get it done. And I I don't necessarily – but I do think, George, that's kind of the thought process right now for the Rangers is very simply, oh, just get in, and then we'll see what happens. And we have talked about that too. That is a far cry from where this team was not even that long ago. I mean, honestly, say last year it was much different. Two years ago it wasn't like that, even though I don't think the Rangers really knew what they had. But Pittsburgh has 80 points in 68 games. We have 85 points in 69 games. We are quite literally three points ahead of Pittsburgh in the playoff discussion between being a lock in, for home ice advantage and the wild card. And the Islanders are a point behind with two games in hand. So that should make you nervous. The Rangers then saying, okay, well, I think the answer is going to be we're going to sit Limbert and we're going to put glass in. The biggest argument that I get from people is the fourth line doesn't make that big of a deal. Tanner Glass isn't that big of a deal. And on some level, yes, you're, you're right. One player is not going to make or break. But it's, it's the principle of the matter. And more than the principle of the matter, it's the way – it's the ripple effect. If you put Tanner Glass on the fourth line, the fourth line instantly becomes a lot worse. And instead of being able to utilize that fourth line as a defensive, as a defensive stand-alone – and these are the guys who are going to take the defensive zone draws. And this is why Rick Nash and Derek Brassard and Mats Gorello and Eric Stahl are going to be able to get out in the offensive zone more. These are the guys who are going to help mitigate the mistakes that our defense is making because we didn't do anything about the two big problems we had when we had an opportunity to. It changes things. And let's be honest, possession is a very important stat. It's a, a critical stat. I'm not saying it's the be-all, end-all. But the Rangers are a must, much worse possession team with Tanner Glass in the lineup than they are with Oscar Lindbergh. The Rangers are a much worse possession team with Dan Girardi and Mark Stahl playing top line minutes, top pairing minutes in the the top four than they are with maybe a McDonough Klein Yandel Boyle, or even a Yandel McElrath pairing. And obviously McElrath is injured. So that's not feasible right now, but let's be honest, the Rangers weren't going to play it that way anyway. So I, I, do, I do think I find myself
3: theory. yelling at the TV Get it out of your zone. What's wrong with you? You got the puck. Get it out. What are you giving it away for? Jesus, team can't control the puck. What is wrong with them? Or the anyway. The good talking to you. Good talking to you, gentlemen. Keep going, and uh, I'll see you next time. And
1: thanks, George. Uh, I was glad he called in. Thank you, buddy. Actually, got the get the whole editorial staff on here at some point. Kevin, Brian, and uh, the like will have to get in. I know Nick, uh, the old one of the old editors of the site who's kind of branched off to do his own thing has been begging me to be a guest host or come on as a guest. So they will definitely, uh, there'll be more of us around, but just back to that point, I just don't see the Rangers moving in the right direction their way. And this was something I talked about last week that I was really curious to get your opinion on, Mike. I have a feeling personally, this is a gut feeling and it's not even really a prediction. It's just something that I'm noticing, which is, the way the Rangers are playing right now, the way the Rangers are holding themselves, the way the head coach is acting, the things that he's doing are very reminiscent of what things looked like under John Tortorella his last year here. This lack of an ability to make adaptations, and maybe it's an ability, maybe it's just a lack of willingness to make adaptations. The Rangers kind of doing the same thing over and over again and hoping to have something happen differently. The special team struggles and really being bailed out by Lundquist and all that culminates with certain players being punished while other players aren't certain players being called out publicly while other players aren't and the team sort of struggling, but staying afloat at the same time. I mean, are you getting those vibes from this team?
2: You know, I am. It's a, you know, it's, it's, it's a thought I think I've tried to avoid because, you know, the, the stigma with Vigneault was that, you know, he had, he had what it took to get the most out of that, Canucks team in the regular season, but when the playoffs came around, it was a different story. And so, in the time he's been here, you know, getting as deep in the playoffs as he's gotten, and you know the success he's had, I think has. And furthermore, the fact that he was anyone not named John Tortorella was really an improvement in my eyes. But uh you know, it's you can't ignore the fact that these are one of the same problems. This, you know, this kind of stubbornness with the lineup, with the decisions he makes, uh, seeming to have this favoritism or a tendency to not call out veterans. Meanwhile, he's, you know, anyone under 26 years old, you know, he's happy to happy to throw under the bus in the media or just by scratching them. And, um, you know, those are worrying signs uh, in general, but they're especially worrying signs when things are not going wonderfully. And... Um, I don't know, you know. I don't know how I feel of this team being similar to that team, just with you know a direct comparison, because I think this Rangers team is a lot better. But I think a lot of these things get amplified by the fact um, that I think most fans and analysts know deep down that um, this ride that the Rangers have been on is not going to last forever, and there's a very good chance that this is the last hurrah for this team, and it really will come down to when Henrik Lundqvist's play starts with his age, you know, when that happens, the window that the Rangers have enjoyed uh, is going to come, if not to a complete close, it's going to get a lot smaller, and it's going to make these games where mistakes are made and turnovers are made and they, they can't organize a zone exit, and so what do they do? They ice it two or three shifts in a row. And, you know, when that happens and Hank is a little less superhuman than he was a year ago, you know, we'll start losing these three period leads like we have been. And that's very hot when, you know, when you think of what the team may have wasted. And I think that's something that we think about a lot with uh, the Tortorelli years that w- what might have been wasted here. So I think that's why the criticism, I think, for Vigneault has really been coming on hot and heavy. I mean, it seems like every time I look on Rangers' Twitter every day, someone is is going on about their displeasure with Vigneault and the decisions he makes. And, you know, I'm starting to, you know, it's it's a thought I have had that I really had since, since before he got here, which is he's a very good coach with good or great players, but he's not a great coach with them. You know, he can get you you know, to the to the prom or whatever, but he's not going to seal the deal to make things PG-13 and weird. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know what to expect at this point. I think they need to be a better team. And it's not just the players on the ice, it's the guys behind the bench.
1: I've made this point a couple of times, which is uh, I actually think the Rangers' biggest obstacle to winning a Stanley Cup will be their own head coach. And it's not just about the, the Tanner Glass obsession, I guess. It's it's not just about the Dan Girardi and Mark Stahl getting those big minutes. It's all of those things combined that really turn into this coach who does not look like he's willing to adapt from where he is. And that's a problem because you're going to face a lot of different teams in the playoffs. Look, let's call a spade a spade here. Honestly, other teams know how to beat the New York Rangers. If you're on the road yeah. against the New York Rangers you just wait until you get the matchup with Girardi out there, or the fourth line out there, and you run them as hard as you can. If you're at home against the Rangers, you force those matchups as much as you can. And other teams are doing it. And in a lot of instances, Vigneault is helping them when he has the last change because he's still treating 5-18 and 18 like they're shutdown defenders. And I think it's incredibly clear that they're not. I think it's, it's absolutely worthwhile to sit down and look at Vigneault and say what you said, Mike, he is a good coach with great players. And Vigneault has had two of the better runs in terms of goaltending and really good goaltending in Vancouver and New York with um, Luongo and with Henrik Lundqvist, where you can really sit down and say, okay, these guys are dominant goaltenders. They're fantastic at their craft in their prime. And that kind of takes a lot of the bloom off the rose when you look at some of the things that Vigneault has done in the past. But a lot of the media's response to the criticism of Vigneault is, hey, he's been really good for a while and he's gotten to the Stanley Cup twice, so you can't really ask questions. Well, just this week, a lot of beat reporters, and I think it was Larry Brooks, is coming around to say, hey, something's not right. I think the Rangers are being masked by Henrik Lundqvist and their defense isn't as good as everybody thinks it is. Well, guess what? You could have figured that out back in October and you should have absolutely figured it out in November. And the Rangers as an organization stuck their head in the sand and said, Hey, we're not dealing with these problems because I don't actually think that these players are hurting the team. And now you have Mark Stahl and you have Dan Girardi, and I'm sorry to keep harping on them, but they are the biggest problems of the team right now. Costing the Rangers over eleven million dollars in cap hits, playing four of the top or excuse me, two of the top four spots on the defense. In Stahl's case, he's taking ice time away from Keith Yandel, and it's coming back to haunt the Rangers time and time again, and there's no change. Now, it seems like McDonough is finally being moved away from Girardi, and he's being being played with Klein in tomorrow's matchup, which is great because that duo has been very good at shutting the opposition down and controlling the play. But Girardi's with the handle now, which isn't, again, like this is the best it's going to get at this point. You have to play Girardi. You have to play Stahl because McArath is hurt, and I doubt the Rangers are going to play Shea. But this is the bed that you've made for yourself. And even though they have to play, they don't have to play the crunch time minutes. Dan Girardi and Mark Stahl do not have to be out on the ice when the Rangers are protecting a lead. Dan Girardi does not have to be matched up against the other team's best defenders. Tanner Glass should not be playing, let alone killing penalties and being out on the ice in crunch time. And these are the things that we talked about when we said that needs to smarten up a little bit if the Rangers are going to win. I have not seen a dominant Eric Stahl. I have not seen dominant forwards really break out. And I don't know whose fault that is. I think it's far too early to kind of put any blame on Stahl. And listen, this is the risk of getting a rental. You need to give the guy time to gel with the team, but you only have a limited number of games to do that. And as the Rangers continue to go all in, and as the Rangers continue to just say, hey, listen, we can do this, and we're going to get in, and hopefully Henrik Lundqvist is able to carry us, you need to realize they're not putting their best foot forward, and it's disappointing. And more than disappointing, it's very frustrating to see nobody ask about it, nobody cares about it. Everybody just keeps ho-humming and status quo, and I get it. The media doesn't care whether or not the Rangers win. They're not Rangers fans. It's a, a very different relationship with the team. But objectively speaking, how do you not ask the question? Honestly, how do you not figure out, well, why is Lindbergh sitting? And if the answer is it's the right thing to do, well, why is it the right thing to do? Honestly, give me one reason why Tanner Glass is a better option than Oscar Lindbergh is. Give me one reason why Dylan McIlwain, who has outplayed at least three of the defensemen who are playing every night, isn't in the lineup more consistently. And give me one reason why it took until the final third of the season for Keith Yandel to actually get top-line minutes and top power play billing. And that sort of came because there were some injuries. And to flip this back to the point you made before, Mike, I think it's because the Rangers have gotten incredibly lucky. And Henrik Lundqvist has bailed this defense out time and time again. And because of it, they're sitting there thinking, oh, well, maybe we're not that bad. But to me, it's the job of this organization to see through those, I guess, smoke and mirrors and realize that things are not okay. I mean, do you agree with that? No, it's, it's absolutely the job.
2: It's, uh, you know, if you know, if the investments for Stahl and Girardi weren't quite as, Ludacris, you know, maybe down a million or men five, you know, if you throw the the contract out the window and you focus on the fact that Vigneault plays those guys, the guys who are clearly a problem in those roles, that's his decision. You know, obviously he doesn't. You know, another coach has the responsibility for the defensive pairings a lot of the time, but it's that's his choice. You know, he chooses. How to manage these assets? He chooses the ice time. He chooses matchups. You know that's on him. That's that's a coach's job. And it's it taken him so long to see the light with the Andal, despite what the Rangers gave up for him. Despite all the evidence that's existed for years with his play in Arizona about just how good he is. And you know it's it's one of those things where you you just it's like beating your head against a wall. You can't stand why this wasn't apparent, and you can't understand why change of any kind is so slow in coming with Girardi and Stahl and how they're used. You know, the, It's come to the point where Dan Girardi needs to be sheltered, and I don't think we'll be seeing that anytime soon, and I'm not sure we'll see it with Vigneault on the bench, which is just a, a really disconcerting thought, but uh, I agree with, with all the points you made where it's This is the sort of stuff you need the coach to know these things. it's it's No one should have a better idea of what he has in front of him than the coach. You know, like uh, glass in the lineup over Lindbergh. It just doesn't exist. Anyone who brings up the point of, you know, physicality or, you know, the emotional swing with, you know, fighting or a big hit or, you know, the ability to, to stick up for your teammates, it's, anyone can fight. <laughs> oh, so we want to win fights. Tanner Glass isn't good at fighting. You know, fighting doesn't correlate to win. It's uh, you know, it's just this weird, this you know, this favoritism thing he has that's uh, that's been this bizarre thing, and it's fun for people to focus on it. Like unintentionally, I keep harping on it, but it's because it's so maddening and it's funny because talking about Glass and Girardi so much, and those being the major complaints, often create smoke and mirrors, you know, to borrow your phrase. With the other problems with some of the decisions they're making, like Yandel and giving McDonough a, a defensive partner who can carry his own weight, um, I don't know. It's it's been a really disappointing thing to see, and I know that this uh, this episode has come pretty doom and gloom, but uh, you know this is this team needs to wake up very shortly, and then, you know the next three games, you know they're playing two dominant dominant possession teams, and you know, in the the Kings and Ducks and and back-to-back nights, no less. And it could be a wake-up call for this team. And if they win it, I'm sure a lot of fans are going to be talking about how we were worried for nothing. Meanwhile, I'm sure it'll be just a PDO masterpiece. But if we lose it, you know, the, this wild-card race, you know, been we've been hinting at uh, several times now. It's been pretty scary if the Rangers don't pick up two or four
1: points the next three games. And that's a real possibility. So let's than what happens here. Unfortunately, I think that's the way that a lot of people judge this team is the knee-jerk. Oh, they won or oh, they lost and there's nothing else to it. And the process that I think frustrates us with Vigneault has just been the way that the team has been put together and Adam just tweeted this, Adam Herman, who writes for the site. So I'll read it to you guys now. I know we've gone quite a bit over, so we'll we'll cut it short here. But on March 8th, Stahlberg, Stahl and Lindbergh have a really good game of the win against Buffalo. And the team had a 62.6% Corsi and outshot the opposition 23 to 14 and outscored them two to nothing since they were put together. On March 11th, when Nash returns, Vigneault breaks up the line and he keeps together fast on Kreider, which is... A 42% Corsi team was outshot 70 to 46 and was outscored seven to five. On March 13th, the Rangers lose their second straight game, and today, Stalberg's demoted to the fourth line, and Lindbergh's demoted to the press box. Your coach needs to see through that stuff. Your coach needs to be able to say, "Hey, that line's working. Things are going really well there. We talked about this. The Stalberg-Stall Lindberg line as a fourth, as a third line, or if you replace Hayes with Stahlberg, is a nightmare matchup." for these other teams because they don't know how to handle them with the Rick Nash, Chris Kreider, Matt Zuccarello, all those guys in the top six. And I think Vigneault is going to look at what happens this, this weekend or excuse me, this week on the West coast trip. And he's going to make a lot of his judgments off of it. But again, the Rangers played really bad the last two games and their answer was, okay, we're going to play Connor Glass instead of Oscar Lindbergh. So I'm nervous about what it is. The Rangers are going to come up with if they lose because What's going to happen? I can guarantee you Glass isn't coming out of the lineup. I can promise you that Stahl and Girardi aren't going to have anything happen to them. Not that you really could at this point, but it's just the point. The Rangers have kind of made their bed here, and anybody who thinks that things are great and okay are fooling themselves in a way. And I think this team does have the talent to win. I really do. I think if you put the right lineup out there and – You kind of nurture some of this growth a little bit. Some of the guys that you're going to be leaning on in the playoffs will come through for you. And I think we're having the same conversations about Kevin Hayes today and this week and this year that we had about JT Miller last year. And look at what happened to him. People aren't patient unless they're really patient about the really good players on this team, not playing as well, or the really bad players on this team, not playing as well. And I mean, Girardi, Stahl, Glass, they have as much leash as they want. Mistakes. Hayes, Miller, Lindbergh, Fast have none, and it's frustrating. And again, a lot of that falls on the coach. So yeah, that was kind of doom and gloom. I agree, although uh, I guess we have to talk about what's actually happening. A big thank you to all of you for listening. A big thank you for Mike for joining me this week. Sorry for last week's technological issues and this morning's or the beginning of this shows as well. I think there's a few things that I'm going to have to iron out on the back end just to make sure things run a little bit more smoothly, but we did not lose Mike today. So that was a a one-time only thing. Hopefully the sound quality is a lot better. This this microphone seemed to work really good when I listened back to the last episode. So uh, if it continues to work, we'll get Mike hooked up with one and then we'll sound like we're actually in a radio studio. That'll be good. Uh, Again, thank you for all the listens and the downloads and all the support for the website as well. You can find me at, blue shirt banter you can find mike at blue shirt banter and blue shirt banter.com slash riveters and today's slapshot where really he writes about the nwhl you can find me pretty much any social media webpage slash blue shirt banter and mike is at twitter.com slash dig deep bsb i forgot that last time it's not just dig deep it's dig deep bsb um so yeah mike anything else you want to add before we uh hit the road here uh i'm
2: terrified out of the trip, and let's go rangers
1: uh, I agree. Let's go Rangers. And I am also terrified of the road trip. Thank you so much, guys. We'll see you next week.